two games, more injuries and the ever so faint sound of Samba appearing over the horizon. A week is a long time in the world of Norwich City. Welcome back to the Pinkin.com podcast in association with Future Radio uh, 107.8 FM. I'm your host, Connor Southwell. And joining us to dissect the various strands of Canary's discourse are Paddy Davitt and Samuel Seaman. Gents, we've we've got lots to get through um, in a relatively short period of time. Norwich have played two games. As I said at the top of the show, there's, there's plenty more injury news to delve into. And of course, we've got the small matter of an incoming, well, an incoming signing to discuss as well. So, Paddy, um, we, we were obviously at the walks last night. So that seems like the, the place to start, really, in terms of Norwich City. Um, an, an unbeaten start to pre-season. I don't know about you, I, I kind of left the walk feeling a little bit conflicted by what I'd seen. And of course, you, we have to caveat this whole conversation and everything that we're about to dissect um, that game with, with the fact that it's pre-season against a kind of non-league side. But I don't know, I, maybe maybe this is the question really. Am I, am I a little bit, um, I don't know, is it a bit much to, to be asking to, to want to see a little bit more from Norwich City at, at this stage of the piece? Yes and no. Yeah, I mean, that did fill an interminably long second half, uh, which is never a good sign um, when you're willing the end of the game because there's not a huge amount happening. Um, but I thought it was, I've seen a tweet this morning, actually, and uh, pointing out that the 2010 summer, they did they not go unbeaten, they won all their games. And then who do they play on the opening day of the season? Colchester United League won and they get absolutely battered. And we know... We know what happened thereafter, of course, and it turned out to be a positive campaign. But for that reason, and I've just picked out that one example, but I'm sure there's many recent summers where Norwich have purely judged through results and maybe even performances looked like, yep, everything is in full working order, really confident, optimism abounds, and then the season starts when it really matters and uh, and they fall short. So, And I'm sure that... The opposite is true. And maybe at this stage, you could con- contest it, but maybe there's somewhere in between. I think there's been one or two positive elements, but it's worth pointing out. We've seen we've seen a game against Deerham and a game against Kings Lynn, two essential fitness exercises. And then, um, well, we didn't see it because it wasn't broadcast, but, but uh, you know, a, a workout against the Bundesliga 2 opponent. And I don't think as a barometer of where Norwich are this season for the head, I, w- I would place any store but what we've seen so far. I think from now, Dean Smith said it after the game, Tuesday night. Now it does ramp up. You know, they go and play Marseille, Champions League outfit. Then they play Cambridge United. Step back, you could say, in terms of level of opponent. But then they finish with Celtic. Massive, massive club. And Hibs, another Scottish Premiership club. So, for me, in terms of applying the performance parameters to pre-season and judging... That's to come. I think that starts now with Marseille. I think the last three games culminating with Kings Lynn on Tuesday night. And we saw it in Dean Smith's approach. It, it was 60 minutes for the the starting group and then it was changes abounded. I think they made eight in one hit. So if you're looking for rhythm and patterns of play, it's just not going to happen when you're making eight changes. It's like, uh, you know, eight buses coming along or whatever that saying is. So uh, me, no, I mean, you know, if that's how you feel, Connor, then fair enough. But for me, I, I place no store by what I've seen so far in terms of, oh, yeah, I can see the pattern of, patterns of play. I can see the style of play. I can see what the setup's about. I can see the personnel within the system. And and that looks really positive. For me, it's just, you know, you look at a lot of the players who played last night, Timu Puki, for example, he only came back into camp last Wednesday. So he's been back in pre-season less than a week. 
to, to expect him, Rashita, Krul, Hanley, all the ones who came back late, Sonani, um, to, to suddenly start knocking it about like Brazil, to use a pertinent destination for what we might get into in a, later on in the pod. Um, probably unrealistic. So, yeah, uh, maybe that's a question I think we can only definitively answer maybe post-Hibs and before Cardiff, because by then, pre-season done, we've seen all calibre of opponent and we've seen enough games for Dean Smith and those players to really look like a cohesive unit with and without the ball. Yeah, and, and the answer to maybe the, the concerns and and it's concerns that I've seen other people express as well, and maybe it's it's off the back of partly what we saw last season as well, um, that they will only be answered once we get to the end of pre-season or we, we start the championship season. So it's, it's probably not anything that we can answer right now, but maybe for me, and you're right, there is an, uh, perhaps an unrealism to expecting Norwich to be polished and they're still very much a work in progress. But uh, and, and this is where I'll bring you in on this, Sam. For me, I think I probably just wanted to see a little bit more of what the plan is, uh, I think, at, at this stage. And maybe it is about fitness and uh, and that's fine. And perhaps in the next four games, we will see a, a transformation in terms of the way that Norwich City operate. But for me, I was still watching it kind of thinking I'm not really sure where the creativity in this team is similar issue to to, to maybe what we discussed last year and obviously there's going to be incomings and, uh, and stuff to address that so again probably a question that we can we can park and, uh, and wait but where, where do you kind of sit I mean pre-season is always quite futile anyway in terms of analysis and drawing hard and fast conclusions but I, I don't know it just feels to me like I probably wanted to see Norwich City perhaps a little bit further along in terms of Dean Smith's playing philosophy more than anything else. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And it's a problem we've been talking about pretty much since the start of his reign, really. Um, I said to you during the match yesterday that sometimes in pre-season, you actually get more out of the sort of post-match interviews than you do from watching the games. And I think it was the same case yesterday in terms of uh, Dean Smith assessing tactically the setup yesterday and, and how he wanted to do things because he spoke about counter-attacking and, and wanting to do better at that. Um, I can only remember one occasion yesterday when they really went for a proper counter-attack and uh, they failed to, to execute it very well at all, really. Chris Ostrolis didn't make quite an obvious run that would have opened up a lot of space for, for Max Ahrens and then Tamer Pukki played a really quite poor pass um, in that direction when it, it felt like it could have been quite a simple way to get Norwich through on goal. And I also would question maybe how how capable Norwich are going to be in the championship at, at counter-attacking given most teams are going to be willing to sit behind the ball and, and recognise that Norwich are probably going to be favourites for promotion to the Premier League. Um, where is the space going to be to, to go and counter-attack? And these are the questions that we want answered. We're not really, as you said, much closer to to finding those answers. I mean, you know, as, as Paddy said, we do need to add those caveats as to the fact that it's Kings Lynn and probably there aren't going to be any championship games that look close to, to what we saw last night. But the lack of creativity really did worry me. Um, I think the incoming signing of, of Gabriel Sara will probably ease some of those concerns among Norwich fans a little bit, at least until they've they've seen him play and had the opportunity to, to assess whether he's the answer to, to those problems. But when you don't look like you have the final pass against Kingsley, and I think that's worrying for me because they had plenty of possession. They had plenty of opportunity to to unpick the defence and this isn't a, a top level defence, this is an assortment of National League North level defenders um, that that are tasked with keeping a, a side out that have just been relegated from the Premier League so it shouldn't be that difficult in theory to do that um, 
obviously they're they're still tuning up and I'm sure Dean Smith would highlight that um and that probably in a couple of games they're going to look a little bit more like what he wants them to look like but yeah we've been asking these questions for a long time now what does a Dean Smith Norwich City side look like and I think it's a very strange position to be in given that we've probably had the most easily identifiable Norwich City side in Daniel Farkas immediately before Dean Smith's and maybe what we're seeing now is just the average um, championship football team that does a little bit of everything Um, but it's hard for Norwich fans to accept given how how obvious and um, and clear the identity was before so it could be that this is what what we see from Norwich now on maybe it's just a a, an assortment of various styles and and different players coming together to to formulate just a a sort of quite average um, bit of everything approach but it would be nice to maybe see some of those aspects improved that Dean Smith talks about, like counter-attacking. If, you, if you're going to talk about it in a post-match interview, you probably want to see um, some more signs of quality in those areas during the match. And I don't think we really saw that. But, you know, as we said, and, and we'll continue to say throughout the pod, it is Kings Lynn and hopefully we'll get a, a better, sense of, better sense of that against the, the bigger sides. Yeah, and I, and I think at this stage... Um... I want to make it clear, it's not, it's not us absolutely hammering them for, for no reason. I think they're kind of observations at this stage. It's just, just kind of maybe, you know, when you're driving a car and a warning light comes on, perhaps, and, and you can ignore it for a little bit and see and wait and see if it gets better. I think that's kind of where I'm I'm at with it at the moment because there's b- potential that Norwich play Marseille on Saturday. And as Paddy said, looks like vin- they look like vintage Brazil um, on the basis of a, a, another week of training and time will, of course, help them as we build up to the season. And of course, as, as Paddy also mentioned, they can also go on from here, win all their friendly matches 4-0, playing absolutely superbly and still lose to Cardiff on the opening day of the season. Equally, they could lose all games 4-0 and, and beat Cardiff on the opening day of the season. So how much of it, I suppose, you want to read into pre-season and various levels of it is up to you. But um, that's that's kind of um, my, my thoughts on it. But to, to dissect the game in, in maybe more general terms, Pat, I mean, I, the last half an hour was very pre-season-y, as you mentioned. It was Norwich made eight subs at once. King, Kings Lynn were rolling on trialists. Um, so so I think we can kind of park that. But for the opening 20 minutes, um, uh, and we could probably split this into two halves, the opening 20 minutes and what happened thereafter, Kings Lynn started very brightly. Norwich were quite sluggish. I think that's probably fair to say. There's an element of Dean Smith probably wanting that because he, he's spoken about wanting to see his team under stress. And there will have been double sessions no doubt in there and they probably trained before this game as well but actually they begin to grow, grow into it thereafter and um, obviously team Ibuki opened his account for for the campaign and it was um, it was quite an interesting night for him obviously he limped off injured in in the second half so how, how would you kind of assess the game I suppose as a test as a run out as a, a fitness builder obviously Dean Smith watched the game from the stands as well he, he kind of said after the game he doesn't really like to coach during pre-season matches so again linking back to sort of our previous debate all of these things can probably be interlinked and, and, and create quite a hazy picture for maybe what the, the weeks ahead look like for Norwich City. Yeah, and, and we will get into it very shortly, I'm sure. But another facet in play here is is the injuries and um, and not even Hayden because he's not had Hayden available. But clearly if Hayden was available, we'd have seen him by now. But, you know, when you don't have, if, if I miss any of them out, I mean, you don't have Kieran Dow, Piers Lisa Malou, Angus Gunn to a lesser extent because Tim Krull's very capable and there's, Hardly a difference between them to, in terms of their impact in the side, but Sam Barham, another one. Um, you know, it's very hard to have that cohesion um, in and around, as you rightly say. You know, they'll be doing some intensive training work, um, and and you know that has to be a factor uh, ultimately in in what was, I think, it's safe to say, 
very disjointed, very bitty. There's no doubt Kings Lynn started far better. Um, they were aggressive, very committed across the middle of the park. Onel Hernandez came in for some treatment. Daniel Sonani as well. Um, and it was really that first goal you talk about. Well, that was sourced in a, a pretty horrendous error from a Kings Lynn player. So it wasn't that Norwich carved them open to you know, acknowledge the points you boys were making about the, the lack of creativity. And even the second goal, you know, there was a turnover high up the pitch. You knew this squares it to Jolis, uh, it's in the back of the net. So more or less gifted Norwich's two goals on the night. And and I felt it was kind of at the at the moment where that kind of early, because obviously, you know, we all know it's a very hot period at the minute in terms of the, the physical output required in this these sort of conditions. And I thought when Kingsley started to dip in terms of their levels physically, that's when it became a little bit more routine and um, and without Norwich really breaking them down um, a pretty comfortable evening. I thought from that point onwards, and as, as we discussed, you know, when you make the levels, the volume of substitutions on both sides that you got in the second half, then as a, as a meaningful contest, it's over basically. So it was probably just that spell 20 minutes or so, either, either half that, that, that Norwich really looked in a degree of control thereafter, it was kind of just seeing out the game, getting minutes into a different set of players. Um, but I, I would have thought he would, Dean Smith watching wouldn't have been overly impressed with the first 25, 30 minutes. I mean, it's one thing about the quality element, but, you know, Norwich were on the back foot primarily. And, um, you know, a lot of the debate clearly does centre on the midfield. And, and as Dean Smith keeps telling us, feeling that they lack that physicality, that athleticism, that drive, and there wasn't a lot of evidence of that in the first 25, 30 minutes. So that would be a bigger cause for concern for me personally at this stage than, you know, this this who's the creative spark or sparks in this side. But I will reiterate, you know, when you've got Dan Elsonani playing in the middle of the three across the middle of the park and then you put Rashica in there as well, that's not where those players will be playing if both are still here beyond the transfer window. So it was a very much mix and match, patched up affair really. And that, no surprise to me, was always going to, hinder any kind of cohesiveness or, or sense that there was a fluidity to Norwich's work with the ball. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, one, I mean, to sum that up, at one stage in midfield, you had Liam Gibbs kind of sitting as, as the number six and Todd Cantwell and Rashida as, as the eight. I think Sargent was on one side and Rowe on the other with um, with Hugel up front. So it, it, it was, as you say, it was just filling holes, wasn't it? Getting players into certain positions to get to get minutes in legs. So, um, yeah, I mean, as, as we kind of said, I guess it's up to people to kind of draw what they want out of it. Um, I, I don't think that we've been overly harsh. I think we've we probably summed it up quite quite nicely. But Sam, if we if we move on to kind of the other strand from the game, which is as Paddy touched upon, you've touched upon as well, the various injuries. We'll come back to Isaac Hayden, but um, specifically on the others, um, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll run through them quickly now. PLA Smalou, uh, that's, uh, that's a knock, not expected to be long-term. Angus Gunn was a, a knee issue. Sam Byram, uh, precautionary. Adam Eder obviously hasn't uh, has he returned? Did he did he play on Saturday, Adamida? Uh he's no, he's uh he's set to return for the under 23s on Friday, we believe. Kieran Dowell has, has had a hernia operation, should be back for the final um uh, preseason game against Hibernian uh, in Scotland, which of course is a week before the season. So probably not ideal from a Norwich City perspective, but probably will allow him to be involved, if not, probably not starting. Um, against Cardiff so those are the, the main ones obviously Isaac Hayden in that group as well but we'll, we'll come back and, and speak about him a little bit later um, but that group Sam underlines well um, underlines a how big a squad Norwich had because they could still effectively field two 11s with six players missing um, 
but also some quite senior players in there that Dean Smith will be looking at and, and hoping will be able to make a difference. So, I mean, it all feeds into this idea of uh, of how muddled pre-season can be and how difficult it can be to analyse. But in terms of uh, of concern, did you get any kind of unduly concern from, from Dean Smith around any of those particularly? No, I don't think from, from what he said, it sounded like it's anything to, to particularly worry about for fans in terms of the, the whole season and maybe the the general culpability of the squad to be injured. I remember last summer, I think pre-season was littered with, uh, along with, with obviously COVID outbreaks and things, there was quite a lot of injury involved in that. And then Norwich had, injury-wise, probably their kindest season for a few years um, last season. So, you know, pre-season is always fluid. Players are coming off breaks and they haven't, exercised in a, a little while for some of them and, and they obviously haven't um, been in, in such an intense environment as they are in pre-season which is you know notoriously even more difficult for players during training than, than during the regular season so um, I think it's pretty normal during pre-season to see these sorts of things and these knocks and um, precautionary avoidance obviously when we arrived at the walks we had a little look at the pitch and said we wouldn't be surprised if Dean Smith was um maybe taking players out based on the knowledge of that. Um, I think those uh, Kingsley maybe had a, an issue with their electricity or something and, and they couldn't um, water the pitch a few, in the few days before. Smith already expressed concerns to us after the Deerham game about maybe fielding more of those those more vulnerable players um, on uh, less maybe professional level pitches. So um, I think it's it's completely normal and understandable. Obviously, if it gets to to the Hibernian game, which is a few days before the start of the championship season, then Norwich fans are probably entitled to to be worried about the players that aren't capable of being involved there. Um, but for the most part, it looks okay. Obviously, we'll, we'll broaden out the discussion and talk about them a little bit more later on. But I would say the signings of Hayden and Sarah in terms of their involvement from the start of the season are probably uh, well, that's that's not going to happen pretty much. So that's probably more to worry about. Kieran Dowell is the only one that it looks like might be touch and go because um, he's obviously had a, a hernia operation that will keep him out until um, what we were told is is that, that trip to Scotland. So beside him, I, I don't think there's anyone to be particularly worried about. Adam Eder, obviously, they're introducing him very slowly, but that's because he spent so much time um, away from from the team and, and with a long-term injury, you obviously want to, to bring them back quite slowly and, and it, it's totally understandable they want to bring them back at their own training ga- training ground in a game that probably will have um, a bit less attention on it than these Ling games. So no, I don't think it's anything particularly to worry about. What it does do is highlight maybe the the problems that they'll face if there is a, a similar injury crisis to the ones they've faced in the Championship previously and it, it, it shows the, the gaps that might need to be filled. It tests Dean Smith's ability to adapt to those sorts of things. I would suggest that, as Paddy referenced, a midfield with uh, Milo Rashica and, and Todd Cantwell as number eight probably suggests that they haven't quite got the answers to all those problems just yet. But there's plenty of time to, to iron those those issues out. Obviously, we're expecting Gabriel Sara to, to sign and that will bolster the midfield a, a bit as well. And Dean Smith will, will, will learn more about his players. He also spoke in the, the post-match about um, signing more players, plural. So it could be that they they add to those areas. So no, I don't think it's too much to read into now. It's just a a test, and maybe a, maybe it helps highlight to Stuart Weber and, and Dean Smith where they they maybe need to improve on. 
Absolutely. I'm a, to, to flip that, Paddy, really good to see Andrew Omabamadeli back last night. And I will um, I'll, I'll play a little bit of a, a, a chat that I had with him. It, it was very good, actually. He had a very good kind of three, four minutes with him where, where he spoke about how difficult his his well the last eight months have been for him essentially it's been a back issue of course it came at a time where he's just been making progress it was it was really good to see him back last night and also probably showed how highly rated he is by Dean Smith but but also that 45 minutes under his belt on a pitch that wasn't particularly great the fact he got through that should probably hopefully give him a lot of confidence heading into what's to come and and stepping it up now I suppose with with Marseille on Saturday. Yeah, and that word confidence in his body, I think, is the most important aspect. I don't think the talent, the temperament isn't in doubt. Um, and that's only on a relatively small sample of games. But I wrote about it after the game. You know, at 19, he was a championship title winner in a full international for the Republic of Ireland. So um, he'll take the championship in his stride. It's just that confidence in his body, that, that the, the movements, the, the dynamism, that the, the, the athletic elements that he needs particularly the physicality that he's going to face with a you know, a fair degree of championship strikers. Um, that only comes from now playing games. It's one thing to do the rehab and do all the work you want to do at Colney, but on pitches like Kingsland's against rough, tough um, opponents, that's when, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll be able to convince himself that, yep, yeah, I feel good. I, I feel fine. Uh, my body's holding up to the stress and the strain and, uh, and on we go from here and resume a career, which, as, as we said to Gene, Dean Smith last night, you know it can take him anywhere he wants to. Really, um, the, the talent is is not in doubt, and, and he looks to have all the elements you need to go on and have a, a tremendous career. And uh, just about nurturing that now, if you're Dean Smith and his coaching staff. And um, I thought it was you know him and Hanley that that has the look of a championship double act for me all day long. Um, not good news for Ben Gibson, but but. Fundamentally, it was those two who, who saw home the the second of the two Farker title wins. If you recall, you know that's how he got his initially got his opportunity. Injuries to Gibson and and Zimmerman, and uh, for me, if if uh, if there's no issues injury wise between now and Cardiff, it's those two all day long. Omar daily that on the right hand side and Hanley switching to the left, but the experience of that guy, he he could he could quite comfortably play on the left hand side of a two. So uh, yeah. As much as we have spent a large portion of this discussion already, maybe concerns about the creativity and and the the, the advanced elements in in the team defensively, particularly at the heart of the defence, uh, is there is there going to be a better centre back duo than those two in the championship? Not for me. So um, you know, you look at the strengths of what Dean Smith's got to play with, and it's those two right away because that. Okay, I've seen one or two people can uh, questioning which Gibson does have that ability to step into midfield, break the lines with his passing. But I think if we see Obama daily with a, a long run in the side, I think he has the ability to add that to his game, that passing range. And I think Hanley is a bit underrated as well. Maybe not as good as Gibson on the ball, but he can do that job as well. So, you know, for me, they are the real deal, those two. And um, yeah, we just hope now, given the, the theme of Kings Lynn and, and pre-season in terms of injuries elsewhere in the squad, that that man, Andrew Omar daily gets to Cardiff fit, healthy and ready to crack on. Yeah, and he's a, he's a bit of the chat, very candid on his uh, spell away from the team. And uh, and I got the sense he's very much a man on the mission uh, ahead of the, the championship campaign. So here is uh, he's a little bit of Andrew Omar speaking after the uh, friendly win over Kings Lynn Town. 
I'm just to sort of look at that period. I mean, you spoke about maybe the frustration, but is it a benefit? I mean, you kind of touched upon it, but a benefit that it's arrived at this stage of, uh, of your career in terms of experiences for you as a, a, a young football player? Yeah, no problem. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a mixed bunch, obviously, because for me, I felt like it, it wasn't a great time because obviously the Tottenham game, and I felt in that, those times I was maybe going to get a run of games. Um, but look, everything happens for a reason, do you get me? So there is negatives to it, obviously, because I got injured, but you can take away some positives. Like you said, it's happened now, I've experienced, because that's my first ever time missing over a week of football. And in during that time not playing football, I've learned a lot, even off the pitch as well, like mental health and stuff like that. So obviously we have great staff. All the boys are great lads, so they help me so much through that. And I just have massive respect for the lads that are out for a year, like ACL injuries, all of that. Because you never really realise that until you're actually injured. So massive respect to all those boys and how they cope with it. Mm, those dark days, what, what are they like? How do you get through them when, when you have that unmotivated day or, or when you have the day where you're feeling a little bit down because of the injury and you're watching other people train and play? It must be incredibly hard. But how do you come through the other side? Um, it's just always kind of having that in the back of your head. Like It was good for me at the point where obviously I've seen some specialists and they're like, OK, this is your plan. So I had an end goal of it, and obviously today was today was the end goal. So through that seven, eight months, that was, that was just my focus. Like I need to be back for Kings Lynn or the Marseille game. I need to be back for those games. So the days I was feeling motivated, it was kind of the days I was like, okay, these are the days I actually need to put in the work so I could be back for this. So that's what kind of kept me true, just wanted to get back playing quick. And of course, the injury came at a time when the manager changed as well for yeah. you. So, so that must have been another sort of, frustration I suppose but yeah, equally kind of looking ahead to this season does, does that give you something to prove do you feel like you still have to prove yourself to, to Dean or, or do you feel like you have got that assurance ahead of the, the season oh no, no. Uh, by all means I need to prove myself um, I, like I, I played half a season and then I played a couple of games in the Premier League so by no, no means I've, I'm assured anything really uh, I know that myself and I know I need to prove um, the new manager I know I need to obviously repay Norwich City for the contract while I'm injured. So, yeah, I've, I've a lot to prove this season, but I'm ready. And, I'm, 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 yeah, as I said, I'm ready for the challenge and I'll rear in ahead for it. Mm, two more. I mean, you, you kind of mentioned the healthy competition in, in those defensive areas, but how good is it to learn off, off players like Grant Hanley and, uh, and Ben Gibson? One's an international one. Yeah. I think was in the England squad, but didn't yeah. quite get a cap. They're very experienced players for, for you to kind of lean on and learn from. Oh, yeah, 100%. Both, both great, great lads, as, along with Christoph Zimmerman. Um, just every day, you know, you pick up stuff from them. They've been in the game way longer than me. They've more experience than me. So, obviously, it's a competition for the starting place. But equally, I'm just kind of acting like a sponge and just soaking up every kind of little thing they do. Or sometimes I watch them in some maybe situations and then I'm like, OK, that's how the veterans do it. So I need to kind of do that. Um, but it's great. It's great. And as I said, the, the all three of them, great lads off the pitch as well. So it, it, it's good competition, but equally they're great lads and I learn off them as well eight months away you must be absolutely buzzing for the start of the season oh yeah definitely I just I just hope obviously my pro- progression keeps going the way it is now um, but yeah I'm delighted and I'm just buzzing hopefully I can stay on schedule Love stuff. we live Norwich City the build up the passion the drama the last minute winners the debate that's why we've created Pink and Plus the app that takes you beyond the headlines. With exclusive columns, blogs, podcasts and videos, we've got you covered. Subscribe today. Pink and Plus. Stay ahead of the game. Download now on the App Store and on Google Play.
Okay, then, gents, if we if we pick it up back on the the injury themes, I guess that the major one to kind of touch on is Isaac Hayden. Um, the the big news surrounding him is is as Dean Smith revealed after the game, he's he's had surgery on that knee. Um, he's he's only completed one week of of training since becoming a Norwich City player. Of course, signed in June uh, on a loan to buy deal from from Newcastle United. Um, Sam, it's it's gutting, isn't it? First and foremost, if we put this from from his perspective, he's he's not kicked a ball since December. Injury has has kept him out. He's just signed for a new club. Um, from what we can gather, it, it sounds and uh, and he and from everything we're hearing, sounds like he's absolutely distraught that that this is this has happened and and this is the case. He's not going to be out for for hopefully too long. I think we're we're probably looking at about a month. I mean, Dean Smith said August. We 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 would probably be surprised to see him before the end of August. Um, if not, um, if not later than that. Um, it's it's a uh, a really devastating situation for him isn't it just as he he maybe sought to to make a fresh start and and kick on at a new club yeah and, and he really sounded committed and, and excited when he spoke to obviously club media upon signing so I'm I'm a bit gutted for him given that he's not had you know obviously Norwich fans have had this frustration for a few weeks since he signed he's had this frustration since December when he first sustained that serious knee injury so to be getting those setbacks it must be terrible for him especially when he obviously felt like or presumably felt like he was sort of over the hump when he arrived at Norwich ready to play a, a big role um, I'm sure he was told when he signed and was well aware that he'd be one of the first names on the team sheet um, and after whatever it was six months maybe of of being on the the physios table at, at Newcastle that must have been so refreshing so to then have it stolen away as quickly as he has now you can totally understand why he's so disappointed but it, it at least shows commitment to the club and it shows how um, willing he is and excited he is to contribute to the cause that he's so upset by this. You might maybe see some lone players come in and they might not be as upset about um, the impact this will have on the club because it's not it's not necessarily going to be their club long term. But the way that he spoke, he also spoke to uh, outlets in Newcastle, I think, about establishing Norwich as a Premier League club. So he's clearly not just hoping that this is a season and then he goes back to Newcastle. He's hoping that he becomes um, a Premier League player with Norwich City in the long term. So um, he's obviously very committed. He's obviously very excited to to play in yellow and green and to get this setback must be um, heartbreaking for him. I'm sure it's nearly as heartbreaking for Norwich fans who have been looking for that true defensive um, physical midfielder since Oliver Skip left last year, obviously. And yeah, I think the solution now is a big task for Smith. He's probably got a good number of weeks um, in the Championship and we know how quickly fixtures come in that league that he's going to have to manage without the man that was supposed to solve that problem. Um, I think that's probably where a lot of the discussion is going to be now. I saw a lot of praise for Liam Gibbs last night after his performance in midfield at Lynn and it might be that he's battling out with, with somebody like Jakob Sorensen. Uh, maybe they're maybe they're tempted to go into the transfer market but there's there's a lot of options for them there it's hard to see that any of them are going to be as effective as Isaac Hayden who's been a Premier League regular for five seasons so um, it's not great for him and his career not great at all for the club um, it's just a, a really disappointing situation really especially after Norwich fans saw the the signings really failed to take off last season I think they were hoping to get some players in that were really ready to go in England um, from the start of the season. And I think Dean Smith's thinking behind maybe looking slightly closer to home in terms of the 
the potential signings, that was probably in his thinking that he wanted players that were ready to go. And uh, it's unfortunate that obviously Isaac Hayden's been dealt another blow in his his comeback. But from the character that we've seen so far, um, while in in his time at Norwich, I'm sure he'll somebody he's somebody that will deal with it well and just will be working hard on trying to get back as as quickly as possible because Norwich really do need him. Absolutely. And uh, as, as you said, it's it's going to be an intriguing battle now, isn't it, for the start of the season? You've got uh, Jakob Sørensen, who who I thought was OK last night. Um, Liam Gibbs, who who continues to impress, I think, and technically certainly is, is very good. Whether he, he has the physicality uh, to, to kind of stand up to the rigours of the championship maybe is, is something that Dean Smith will, will want to assess over the weeks to come. But Paddy, I'm, I'm sure something that, that you've heard a lot and, and Sam probably as well is Norwich fans saying, how, how come Norwich always sign injured players? Why, why, do these, why are these players allowed to get beyond medicals and how do they pass medicals? And I think from my perspective, I'm clearly not a doctor because if I was, I wouldn't be hosting this show. Um, but I, I think that there's, there's a misconception about medicals that if you're injured, you fail them. And if you're fit, you pass them. That's not really what they are. They're, they're a bit more almost like risk assessment for clubs. They look at kind of long-term issues and then take a view over whether that investment against weighed against the risk is worth uh, moving forward with. So that's, that's worth bearing in mind that you can be injured and still pass a medical um, and you can have had a long-term injury and still pass a medical, but equally that's usually on the club's um, kind of decision really, because uh, one club might decide not to sign a player based on a long-term issue. Say there was a player who had a, a really long-term issue with their ankle. Norwich City might take them. Another club might um, decide that that risk weighed against the money that they're going to pay is too much and um, and therefore they would fail the medical so to speak so it's all it's all the word medical I think throws people a lot of the time so that's worth clearing out but this kind of question why do Norwich keep signing injured players is one that is um, is is kind of being debated a lot at the moment what, what's kind of your reading on it because I guess it's it's probably at the forefront of people's minds because of the situation with Matthias Norman last year who obviously signed with a little bit of an injury that's true of Isaac Hayden as well and it also as we're going to move on in, in the last segment of the show in just a moment to speak about Gabriel Sara it's also true for him as well so it does feel like it's a little bit of a theme but actually it's it's probably not worth reading into too much would would you, would you maybe agree with that? And also the position those players all play midfield as well. It feels like, what the hell are they doing? It's, it's almost a slight on the recruitment as well as the medical staff. But the way you've mapped it out is absolutely spot on. It isn't, uh, they're injured, therefore they fail the medical. It's that risk and also the finances because certain financial commitments around deals far outweigh others. And for me, I can well imagine a scenario where you had, towards the end of last season, in a room at Colney, um, door locked, bolted, Stuart Weber in there, Dean Smith in there, probably Craig Shakespeare, probably some of De- uh, Stuart's recruitment team. And they're going, look, Isaac Hayden, we can do that deal. We think we've got a good chance of getting Gabriel Zara. Hayden, we think, because we've obviously done our gen, uh, is fit. Uh, he hasn't played, but obviously that, there was an issue there in terms of Newcastle. And when they have to declare again in January, their, their 20 man, 25-man Premier League squad, at that stage, he wouldn't have been fit because he only got the injury a month or so before that. So maybe the sense was that it wasn't that he wasn't fit to play for Newcastle. He just wasn't at the time they declared their squad. So he comes in, he's fit, he's raring to go. Zara, yes, we know he's got this injury, but the prognosis is he misses maybe a month of the season. Right, OK, we'll do these two deals because we're only dealing with one of those two who's not going to be available. But of course, events, dear boy, events, you know, 
who can foresee that a week into a full contact, full contact pre-season from Isaac Hayden and his knee swells up, you know. It, there's a lot of hindsight goes on, I, I feel, with, with this and maybe beating Norwich around the head. Um, you know, ultimately, talking about Matthias Norman there, it popped into my head. Ozan Kabak had injuries. Billy Gilmore had injuries. But both of those, you know, didn't arrive injured. But maybe the perception is that Norwich's recruitment is, is seemingly uh, the common theme is injury. And I don't think that is the case. So obviously, it probably needs somebody to go and forensically look at multiple windows and multiple signings under Stuart Webber and then looking at the uh, cross-referencing the injury record. I'd be very surprised if what the feeling and the perception is right now is actually the reality if you were to empirically look over the entirety of Stuart Webber's transfer business. Because if it was, you'd have to ask serious questions of what on earth Stuart Webber and his recruitment team are doing, continually sourcing injured or players prone to injury. So... Ultimately, as I say, you know, Isaac Hayden, when he arrived, is is fully fit and available to start pre-season. But, you know, a week into it, he's not. And 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 now, you know, the positive element, two positive elements, Dean Smith saying that the consultant, when he did what was a minor procedure to clean out the knee, flush the knee out, um, was very happy with how it went and, and doesn't envisage any complications. Um, and also the fact that, in contrast to Matthias Norman, Matthias Norman had to go and eventually, having played through that pelvic problem, had to go and get surgery midway, just over halfway through a season. Isaac Hayden is doing this in the summer. Okay, there's a there's the, the lack of pre-season element. You can't do too much about that. But in terms of how many games he's going to miss, if all goes to well, and there's no more unforeseen setbacks on his rehab, then the vast, vast majority of the championship season, Isaac Hayden is still available. So there is there is a fundamental difference if you want to compare those two. Um, and as I say, without having done it and number crunched, I'm pretty sure that statistically it isn't the Norwich sign Crocs. And as a result, their medical team should be dispatched and uh, made to find alternative employment uh, or the recruitment people for that matter. I think it is just, sadly, feels like the common theme is that is the situation. But, you know, I wrote about it the other day. You probably, you're probably not able to go and do the Zara deal if he's been playing since April and continuing his trajectory because his value then would have been at a level and the interest from other clubs, both maybe UK-based and further afield, would have been at a level Norwich just couldn't have competed. So there's, a, there's maybe actually upsides to players who just slip off the radar, fall down the pecking order in terms of watch lists because they're not playing. And, and it may... You know, ultimately, everything that Norwich or any club for that matter does in transfer windows and signing players, there's an element of gamble to it. And it's as you said earlier, Connor, it's calculating the gamble and calculating the risk. And if Zara, hypothetically, is available, um, firstly, the deal gets done. Uh, there's no issues with his medical, uh, um, but is available from September onwards and proves to be the player they clearly hope he is. We look back in May, they're in the Premier League. Gabriel Zara's played a major part in that. Is anybody flagging up Norwich's chronic record of sourcing injured midfielders? I don't think so. So a lot of this debate is with the benefit of hindsight. Stuart Webber isn't afforded the benefit of hindsight. And I don't think you really can put at his door a player who's fit to start pre-season and then a week later suddenly breaks down. I think that's just, sadly, bad luck. 
Yeah, and a, and a player can say you can spend ten million quid on a player, and they turn up, and in the first training session, they break they, they break their leg. It's that old cliched thing, isn't it? Nothing nothing's guaranteed. I mean, I've actually got in front of me here um, a list of, of Isaac Caden's injuries since twenty fourteen, and none of them beyond this one. This is the longest injury that that he has had. It's kept him out for the the most amount of time, but he's not missed prior to. Uh, 21-22, more than 10 games with, with, with injury uh, throughout his career. There's not a, a track record of knee issues um, throughout that. He's, he's had some ankle surgery. He's had a back injury, a hip injury, a thigh strain. Um, and, and, and then he's, he's, he's obviously had the knee issue. And that's kind of it throughout his career. So the extensive research, research that they've done on him, you, you don't get any kind of red flags, I suppose, around his injury record. So there's nothing in that to suggest that this is a long-term issue or this is something that has, that has been repeated throughout his career, in which case then you would look at maybe the due diligence and uh, and the research that they've done and, and that can't really be levelled them as well. Sometimes things are just bad luck in football and that's just the way it, it works and that, that feels like the case with, with Isaac Hayden. Um, this feels like a good time to break off uh, and, and hear a bit from Dean Smith and then we'll come back and uh, I suspect we'll be talking about a Brazilian midfielder. Uh, we heard him over there talking a bit longer than you wanted to talk but Andrew I'm a bummer daily on the pitch uh, great to see him out 45 minutes yeah really good and as I said we've had to we wanted to nurse him back because it was a stress injury we don't want to throw him on to hard grounds too quickly um, and we thought tonight was a good chance to give him 45 minutes and he's come through that unscathed um, you know and I expect really big things of him to come. Um, he's a talented player, he's, a, he's athletic, he's good in the air. Um, you know, all the attributes uh, that can be a real top centre-half for us. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. I mean, you know, you, you played in that position yourself. You've worked with a lot of decent centre-halves, I'm sure, in your coaching career. He's got the raw material, hasn't he? He just needs to keep his head down, keep working. He's there. Yeah, no, his experiences will come with playing football games. Um, you know, he's been unfortunate with the injury last season that's, um, you know, robbed him of a lot of games. Um, you know, but he's come through it a stronger person mentally, I think, as well. And he's, his outlook now is to become one of the leaders of the group. Ask you about another younger player. Obviously, you've let Flynn go out, uh, one or two others. But Liam Gibbs, he looks maybe one who's a bit closer to your first team thoughts, fair to say. Yeah, Gibbo's done well. Um, you know, we'll obviously three players went out from that area two Loney's Billy and, and Matthias and, and Ruppy went as well so we've been looking to bring people in in that in that area and um, but also give the opportunity to players here as well and, and Liam's one of them and uh, yeah I thought he'd done well today I thought he looked forward really quickly which was what we've been looking for um, you know and he didn't take too many touches in our, our own half which has probably probably been one of our faults in this um, in the first few games in pre-season final one Marseille safe to say that'll be a step up in terms of the quality so what do you need to see from your boys in that game well we need them to step up now as well and you know I'm sure we will um, you know as I said the togetherness within the group and the, the understanding of what we're after has been really good the training sessions have been good um, you know and I expect them to step up now for the Marseille game Dean Smith there speaking in the wake of Norwich City's 2-0 win over Kings Lynn Town. Um, some very interesting lines in there. I'm sure you, you'll agree. You can watch the full version of that uh, chat as you can with, with Andrew Omavamadeli as well on our YouTube channel. Um, well worth subscribing to that for, for all the interviews and content, not just throughout pre-season, but also the season as well. Um, Sam, Gabriel Saro, we've, we've mentioned him throughout this this video uh, well, video podcast. I've got my mediums confused there. Throughout this podcast, um, it looks like come the weekend, barring any issues with his medical, he will be unveiled as Norwich City's latest summer signing, their second of the window, uh, another midfielder. It was clearly a priority area that 
that Norwich looked at. Um, we'll come back to kind of the injury aspect again. It feels like we've, we've spent the majority of this this podcast talking about injuries. But um, first Brazilian to play for Norwich City. I think when you think of Brazilian footballers, you think of Ronaldinho, uh, the original Ronaldo. You think of Flair. Uh, there's kind of a sexiness to Brazilian footballers. Very technical very good to watch. There's an excitement and an aura around Brazil as a footballing nation. You know that when they play, they might lose 7-1 to Germany, but it's probably going to be entertaining. Gabriel Sara and, and what he brings with him is quite feels quite exciting to maybe people who haven't really got an extensive knowledge of his footballing ability. Yeah, and he's quite aligned to that from, from what we're led to believe he's if he really is the answer to their creativity problems then uh, it's a bit of a cliche almost that he's coming from Brazil I believe the first um, Brazilian player to to play for Norwich um, a surprise given the old yellow and green theme so yeah I'm sure there's going to be lots for the um, Norwich City uh, media team to get stuck into with that uh, in terms of marketing and things like that but yeah, I think it's it's very exciting for Norwich fans. Obviously, the uh, injury aspect, I'm sure people don't want to hear us ramble on about those things anymore. That's, that slightly dampens it, but at surface level, it's it's very exciting. Um, you know, big money in, in, in the context of Norwich City, um, especially in the context of a, a Norwich City side in the Championship. So, yeah, a lot of excitement about it. And um, it's a, a hole Norwich have needed to fill since Emi Buendia left, really. So... You're seeing them in this window with their first two signings potentially um, fill the the two gaps that they left and should have filled last season, um, arguably. And for the sort of numbers involved, this is a player that they clearly feel can can add to them in the Premier League if they if they do end up back there. So um, yeah, lots to be excited about. I'm I'm quite looking forward to seeing seeing him. I think the uh, sort of YouTube supercut videos haven't maybe been as a trick field as, as you might expect from a Brazilian, but I think that's that's probably not much to, to read into um, longer term. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing him play. He's, he seems a, an interesting footballer, uh, almost in the sort of Marco Stieperman build. And I think they'll probably hope that he's maybe a slightly higher calibre of player technically, but the, he seems to be a sort of... Um, gentle giant in the way that he moves the ball and, and, and plays because he is quite a he does have quite a large frame and I'm sure they'll be pleased with that to add to that sort of athleticism physicality issue that they've become really um, concerned about for, for quite a long period of time now so I think that that factors into it as well but yeah I'm looking I'm looking forward to it to seeing him probably more than I have a lot of signings over the, the last couple of years and I think if this is the answer to that creativity problem it's a uh, a signing that they've needed for a good long while. But I think fans that are sceptical also have have reasons. Um, it's hard to think of a time that Stuart Webber has really invested a, a good amount of money in a player at Norwich City and it's it's gone particularly well. Most of his signings so far have been sort of picking up players that other clubs might not have looked at and, and scouring um, more obscure leagues to find them. I suppose it does fit that sort of alternative scouting model in that not too many English clubs are looking to the Brazilian market, what we normally see is them moving from there to a, a European club and, and Norwich then, or not Norwich, but generally English clubs picking them up from those European clubs once they've proved themselves there. So I think there is that um, ingenuity and that innovation that's been present in typical Stuart Webber signings and, and that's exciting. But 
there is a, a degree of scepticism in me, given the the previous track record in in recent years of of bigger money signings. So um, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it, to seeing how it pans out, especially if if he does turn out to be that sort of mould of player, that Emi Buendia type that's gonna uh, take the 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 creativity and the chance creation by the scruff of the neck and and try and do something about that. Yes, let's let's debunk a myth first and foremost. And I promise this will be the last time on this podcast that we speak about we speak about injuries. But the, again, this perception that maybe he's a a little bit of a crock to use that word again. He's he's a, the Brazilian seasons are absolutely relentless um, for anyone that follows them. They're they're playing more often than they're not. It's a, a huge amount of games in a very confined period. He's actually uh, had two injuries in his career. Twenty three years of age. One was a, a metatarsal fracture that put him out for one hundred and twenty three days so longer than he's been out of his current injury but he missed fewer games so he only missed 12 games in that period uh, this ankle injury that um, has been bothering him since April he's been out for 76 days but he's missed 21 games so that's it that's his injury record um, from when he broke through from from Sao Paulo uh, and uh, kind of a an interesting player pad in, in that he's kind of played as an attacking midfielder he's played as a number eight he's played on the left it feels uh, Norwich that he's he's going to be on the right as well um, uh, as well as that um it feels like he's going to fill that kind of number eight position. Um, it was quite an interesting insight that you you picked up from Stuart Hodges' podcast. He spoke to Juan Arango, who's who's, who's a Brazilian commentator, who spoke a little bit about him. Um, an interesting footballer, it, it, it sounds like, and one that does seem to tick a lot of boxes in terms of what Norwich City are looking for at this moment in time. Yeah, I think he's a, a Dean Smith templated midfielder. I just I can't escape the comparison with a certain Johnny Alson. I think that's the type of player he is, that he can play, as that Juan Arango pointed out, he can play the six role, he can play the eight, he can play the ten, but he's not a stopgap. He isn't a jack of all trades. He is a number eight, in that guy's opinion, who's watched him regularly. Um, but that tells me straight away that he can do everything that you would associate with a modern-day midfielder. He's good athletically um, against the ball. Uh, by all accounts, that is the case. But on the ball, both in terms of his technical ability, uh, his goal scoring output as well. Not hugely prolific, 17 goals, I think it is in 119 games. But of course, we, you know, I certainly have no real insight into how he's played primarily within the San Paolo setup. So I have seen one or two to take Sam's point, you know, one or two goals where he's arriving late in the box, thumping headers all day long. You'd take that, especially in the English Championship. Um, so for me, I, I I don't see it. And Arango himself said, you know, he's not an Emmy Buendia type. I, I I think he's very much in the Johnny Housen mold. And if he's as, uh, anywhere as uh, has an impact as Johnny Housen did, then he's going to be good in the championship. No doubt about it. At twenty three, he's only getting started as well. So his peak years are ahead of him now. Um, there's no doubt if he does. If we've still got to have the asterisks until you know until the medicals through and, and we're out the other side and it's all confirmed. If it gets done, then, you know, and he has the impact, clearly Norwich feel primarily he can have reported 11 million figures, chicken feed. He's going to be worth substantially more than that if he really, really has the impact they feel he's going to have. So I I think it's an astute move. Um, And as I say, less, as you rightly say, Connor, less an injury concern for me. It's just how he adapts and how quickly he adapts to not just a new football style, a new country, new language probably as well. He is a young man. You don't know his family set up. You know, all of the off the field elements have to come together as much as can he adapt to to what he needs to adapt to, to be 
uh, an influence in the Norwich team going for a promotion in the championship. But uh, yeah, it certainly doesn't feel like Norwich were going through the motions when they put this deal together. This is this is peak Weber in terms of flying under the radar, trying to steal an advantage on other rivals. And if it comes off, you can bracket in with Buendia, Puki, those those level of pieces of business under Stuart Weber. Yeah, and, and it's it's worth saying as well that Norwich have stepped up kind of their their footfall in South America generally, but certainly Brazil since obviously the change in, in Brexit regulations, which now makes that a, a more viable market for for English uh, for English clubs. It was kind of closed off, um, kind of prior to that, and and as Sam summed up really well actually a lot of the time it would be that they'd have to move to Spain as Emi Buendia did or move to other European countries before then stepping into the Premier League and there are countless examples um Luis Suarez Edison Cavani we could list loads of South American players who've had to to take that route to enter the the UK now with the, the change in Brexit regulations which I could sit and bore you with but I won't but essentially it, it means that um all of the the countries um at the top level are kind of treated all as uh, all of the same and placed into the same points based system whereas before that wasn't the case to give you a very very streamlined version but that's probably a whole another podcast in, in in itself so that means that Norwich have dipped into the market they've got um they employ scouts in that region now we've obviously seen the the football partnership with uh, Cortiba as well who are Brazilian top flight side so all of this points towards Norwich City being willing to look in that market um a lot more so to, to bounce it back to you Paddy because I know these are the questions that people are going to want asked when can we when slash if uh, if obviously everything gets done, when can we expect Gabriel Sara to be unveiled as an Norwich City player? And the second part of that question will be around kind of the value of the transfer, because there's been a lot of conflicting reports to this. I think when, when we initially were able to stand it up, it, it was pitched to us as a, a loan to buy. Ever since then, the Brazilian media seem to think it's, it's transformed into a permanent, which um, I guess makes sense in terms of South Paulo's financial situation as well so so what's kind of your reading of that so so a bit of a two-part question um for for us just to to end the show on yeah well where are we now we've just gone midday on uh wednesday uk um we understand uh him and his representative are imminently heading towards the uk um that was communicated to me by the norwich end last night at king's lynn so uh, and they're coming here primarily to to complete the medical because all the financial elements, both personal terms, uh, five year contract, four years with an option. That seems to be the the way the wind is blowing in terms of the contractual element, uh, and obviously the the club to club figures. And yeah, it would appear clearly it is a permanent um, current fluctuations in the currency rates. But I think you're talking potentially a club record deal. Um, of course, there'll be attendance. Sorry, towards- sorry to jump jump in pad but there will be people going how can Norwich afford I'm sure you're coming on to it but how can Norwich afford that in the in the current climate given what we heard from from Stuart Webber earlier in the summer well I mean I'm I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not party to Norwich's financial accounting so I can't give you a definitive accountant's answer but to me it very clearly if we take Stuart Webber at, at, at his word and what he said it, it tells me one of the top bracketed players will be departing because there's there's no way otherwise they could afford that. And of course, you know, it isn't, let's say 11 million is, is the figure or 9 million, maybe up front. It, it, it's not 9 million suddenly goes out of a Norwich Bank account and lands in the Sao Paulo. You know, that was the to-in and fro-in over the weekend, if, you, if you're led to believe the, the reports from the Brazilian end, that it was the, the structure of the deal and how much up front, you know, it might hypothetically be... Uh, 
50% of that, might be even less, that needs to go immediately. It's not that Norwich needs to find suddenly £9 million right here, right now. That's not how deals get put together. You know, even, even in the current window, Norwich will be both deals they've done previously in terms of sales and, in, and incoming deals. There will be payments going out in this window relating to previous deals. Um, so, but it does in the round tell me that, you know, they're pretty confident they can move on an Aaron's, a Rashita, maybe a Zolis for actual dough in this window. And, and if that is the case, again, how astute is it to go and do your business first before you then sell? Because if you do it the other way around, uh, you can be pretty sure Sao Paulo will be savvy enough to, you've just got 10 million for Crystal Solis, hypothetically. Um, you want X for Zara. Well, now we know you're flush. Maybe add another number on. So that's my reading of it uh, as we as the window unfolds. Things may become clearer, but um, but clearly it isn't. Norwich now immediately need to find 9 million because if that was the case, given what Stuart Webber said, that they, they don't have those funds. They didn't have any funds in January. We know that. So where have they suddenly found those funds? You don't get that tranche of parachute payment immediately. So um, it tells me that in the fluid movements of incomings and outgoings, it's all part of that bigger master plan. Um, I'm just trying to think, did, before you interrupted me rudely, Connor, did I, did I come and answer the other question? I think I was getting on to that if they got the medical done and there's no issues, um, Obviously, there has to be a synced release in terms of the two clubs, but Friday, Saturday, I think would be would be the favourite because uh, let's be honest, um, it's it won't be a revelation when Gabriel Zara is holding up a, a green and yellow shirt at, at Colney. So uh, there's no point really on sitting on it. They go to Marseille at the weekend. I'm sure they'd want a bit of clear water either side of the game. So um, yeah, sooner rather than later, subject to a completed medical, uh, we will be seeing Gabriel Zara in yellow and green. And these things, are, uh, as you said, are often paid over years, aren't they? So um, yeah. I, I think anyone worrying about the financials behind it, I'm sure Norwich City, um, under Stuart Webber, as he has done for the last few years, has an, uh, an idea and a plan on exactly how to pay and to cover it as well. So uh, I wouldn't sort of concern yourself with that. So it's from Sao Paulo for, from Norwich City to Marseille. That's their next destination on Saturday for their next pre-season friendly. Uh, we'll bring you coverage of that game um, on all our usual channels, pinkin.com and the Pinkin Plus app as well um hopefully there'll be a method of which we can watch it i'm sure there will be um it sounds like that that is the plan at this stage so uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed that the, the technology stands up on that front and then of course we'll uh, reconvene at the abbey next tuesday for uh Norwich city's uh, pre-season friendly against cambridge united uh, on that occasion and we'll probably then sit down to record a podcast after both those games have played this time next week so that gives us a nice week for various other things to happen and who knows maybe we'll be talking about uh, more brazilian footballers which would be lovely wouldn't it or, or or maybe something else who knows hopefully not more injuries but that rounds off this week's show thank you very much for listening um of course uh, as i said all coverage pinkin.com and the pinkin plus app you can take out a free trial now to uh, gain access to all of that exclusive content not just articles but uh, podcasts and videos as well great time of the season the new season um, coming up it's uh, it is the best time i think to subscribe and try it out gents thank you for joining me thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again very soon